today, I want to, Lord willing, um, start a loose series on core things, on foundational things in, um, in the faith, in Christianity. Um, I, this happens every once in a while where I just go, it's time to go back to the basics. And when you're doing many things, going back to the basics means boring. Okay, so if you're learning an instrument, I talked about drumming before, but you know, if you're learning piano, you're, do, you're learning guitar, back, going back to the basics may mean just doing scales all day long. Do, 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 Am I bringing back some painful memories for anybody? And you know, you're supposed to do that for half an hour, an hour in a day, just moving your fingers. Do, 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 The basics can be boring, right? But when it comes to following Jesus, the basics of our faith, the basics of Christianity are the best part. The basics are the best. And so when I get that urge to go back to the basics again, I, I don't resist. It's taken me away. I'm happy to go back to the basics. And so um, I would like to preach some of the basics of, of Christianity, of following Jesus, of the faith out of Romans for summer as often as as I'm up here. And so today I want to just talk about faith, and I just want to say that it's all about faith. Following Jesus is all about faith. Being a Christian is all about faith. And so if you have your Bibles with you, and I hope you do, um, and if you don't bring them, if you ever have left it at home, um, we do have some Bibles over in this little alcove on my left, your right, by the hand sanitizer, because we don't want any germs on your fingers when you're touching our Bibles, okay? (laughs) That's a joke. That's just a coincidence. That's not there on purpose. If you need to borrow a Bible, you can. If you don't have a Bible, you're welcome to take one of those home with you, and it's our gift to you. We're in Romans chapter 1. This is the word of God. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. If you're willing, you can bow your head with me as we pray. Father, I'm just so grateful to be up here again serving you. And uh, Lord, I get to hear this message at the same time in one sense before everybody else. And I'm so grateful. I'm grateful that you chose faith to be the thing that makes us right with you. I think it's wise and beautiful and powerful, and I praise you for it. And I'm so grateful to be able to just bring your word to your people and to hear your word amongst your people. And Father, my deep desire is that you would help us to hear and see the truth of being righteous by faith, being justified by faith, the call to simply believe in Jesus and that we would treasure this and be transformed by it radically for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Faith in Jesus is the most powerful thing in the universe. And the scripture calls it the way that we receive the power of God. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God 
to all who believe, all who have faith. Everyone who has faith in Christ receives the power of God through the gospel. And that power for, for salvation is the most powerful power that there is. Uh, people tend to like power. Does anybody here like power? If you had the choice between driving a Ford Focus to work and driving a Ford Mustang where the, the hood has been cut out so that the massive blower can poke through, w- what would you pick? Let's, and somebody else is paying the gas. What would you choose? Like, ten, people tend to, to be drawn to power. Um, this is the most powerful power there is. The power of God through the gospel to all who believe. And it's by faith that it comes to us and really no other way. So we're talking about faith this morning, and I want to have a small demonstration to give us a physical picture of what biblical faith looks like, okay? A small demonstration for a biblical picture. When I say biblical, what I mean is true according to God's standards, okay? I don't mean boring. I don't mean snooty. I mean trying to think of the world the way God thinks of the world, which is, in your estimation, the right way or the wrong way. What do you think? Your choice. Do you want to see things the way God sees things, or do you want to try door number two? A biblical picture of faith. Okay, so I need two volunteers. And anybody who was here in the last sermon knows that there's an opportunity to make some money here. (laughs) So I need a brave soul, and I need a greedy soul. What, not two of those? (laughs) Just kidding. I'm just kidding. Okay, brave soul. Any brave souls? Tim's holding up a baby. I don't know if you're volunteering there or what's going on. Okay, come on, Mark can come up, and I'll pick on somebody else. Yeah, I got some students over there. So one of you guys. No, you got to come up here. Come on, you guys are broke. Don't you want to make some money? Thank you. Come on, one person up. It's very no, no, no. You come stand here. Actually, stand in front here. This one. Come on, come on up. Okay, just for everybody else's sake, why don't you introduce yourselves? You are Mark, Mark and you are Jae Hong. Hong. Okay, he's here from South Korea to be a pilot. Okay, so now you know him, and he and his the boys over there are also becoming pilots. They need you to buy them food <laughs> because they're students. All right, so I'm putting the, you don't have to ask anybody. I did it for you. There you go. Okay, so. Um, you stand here looking at me, okay? Just stand here looking at this wall here, okay? You and Mark, you just need to hold this up. Okay, point it like this. Okay, you hold that up so everyone can see what you're holding. Does everybody see that? Okay? Everyone's eyes? Something? Okay, yeah, just the, oh my goodness. Okay. Okay, I just need you to listen to me and believe what I say. All right? Mark has some money for you. It's yours if you want it. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do? Mark the guy behind you. Yeah. He has money for you. Okay. So go for it. What are you going to do? No, 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 no. You're you're ruining it. There, just hold it. Okay, turn around. Turn around. Mark, you got to participate, Mark. You're not being a very good Jesus right now. Okay, good. Okay, everybody give him... Yeah, okay, go for it. There you go. That's all right. Okay, good. All right, give him a clap, everybody. Go sit down. That's yours. It's yours, it's yours, it's yours. 
Okay. It was a little touch and go there for a second, but it mostly worked out. Biblical faith. You hear a message of good news, and you turn to look with expectation, and it's yours. That is biblical faith. I told Jehung, right? I'm saying it mostly okay? Okay, thank you. I said, there's, Mark's got some money for you. You just turn around, and it's yours. He went and looked with hope and expectation. It was a trusting look, and because he turned and looked, it was his. This is biblical faith. The gospel comes to us, the message that we can be right with God through Jesus Christ. And we turn and look to Jesus with expectation and we get what we're looking for. We get righteousness with God and everything that comes along with it. It's almost embarrassingly simple. The look of faith the look of hope, the look of expectation, the look of trust. I'm looking to you. And it's yours. By God's design. That's biblical faith. I'm looking to Jesus. And God says, I declare you righteous. That's biblical faith. And this biblical faith is in the gospel. Okay, so what's the gospel? Gospel is... um, Everybody okay for a a nerd moment? Okay, the word gospel comes from the Middle or Old English where the goss means good and spell means news. What? It means good news? Yes, and that's where you get good news Bibles from. They've just updated the language. Gospel means good news. The good news from God about Jesus Christ on your behalf. What is the good news? Well, there's a couple of great summaries of the good news in Romans. You can turn to Romans chapter 3. And so what has happened in the second half of Romans chapter 1 and all of Romans chapter 2 is Paul is making the case that all humanity is in trouble. We're all lost. We're all hopeless. We've all sinned and there is nothing we can do about it. Whether you're a Jew, one of God's chosen people from the Old Testament, or whether you're a Gentile, just one of the nations, everybody who isn't a Jew, which is I think most, most everybody here, we're, we're sunk. We're hopeless because of sin and the power of indwelling sin. And not only is it the problem of sin, but because of our sin against God, God has turned to all of humanity in just wrath. And humanity in general is under the wrath of God as demonstrated by ongoing sin in our lives. And so we're stuck. And if God doesn't do something, we're lost forever. And we will exist forever under the punishment and wrath of God. Enter the good news. The good news is this. Romans chapter 3, starting in verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified or made righteous by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood. Don't you just love the word propitiation? Don't you just go to bed sometimes saying propitiate? (laughs) Such a good word. I'll explain it in a sec. 
has God has put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance He had passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of all who have faith in Jesus. So if I lost you there with propitiate, this is what this scripture, which is a summary of the gospel, is saying. Saying God's response to the human condition, which is that we are sinners and that we do not measure up to God's glory. We, we do not attain the glory of God. We're not worthy to be with God. We're worthy to be rejected by God. This condition, this hopelessness, God has responded to it in Jesus. And he sent his son, and Jesus did many things on earth, but his main mission was to die on the cross. And on the cross, God was offering up to himself a sacrifice. He was putting the sins of the world and the sins of God's people on Jesus. And Jesus was dying as a sacrifice. And a propitiation is a sacrifice that turns away wrath or a sacrifice that brings atonement, brings reconciliation. And I, I, they're all... Kind of big theological words, but Christians need big words to talk about our big God sometimes. Amen. God put Jesus on the cross to be punished in our place so that everyone who will turn and look to Jesus in faith with expectation, God says, now I declare you righteous. In my sight, you aren't just a sinner anymore. Jesus absorbed my wrath. He took the curse and you go free as a free gift. This is the gospel. That you and I get saved for free by looking to Jesus. This is the good news. Is that good news? This is pretty good news. Okay? That's pretty good news. It's the best news. And that's why Paul says, I'm not ashamed of this gospel because everybody who believes it, who looks to Jesus in faith, receives the righteousness of God. And it changes everything. Another great summary, if you just want to have this in your back pocket, for when you're at work or at home or something, if somebody's going to ask you what the gospel is, if you want to just have a great little summary, Romans 5, chapter 8, Paul says this. He says, God shows us his love in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, that one short sentence This is God's love, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, contains the seeds of all the gospel and all of scripture and all of our hope. God loves us. So much so that while we were sinning against him, while we were his enemies, while we hated him, while we were in rebellion against him, he sent Jesus to die for us, to rescue us, to love us, to reveal God to us, to save us. This is God's love for us. While we were still sinners, Jesus died for us. This is the good news. And this is why this is, I'm saying it is a core truth of being a Christian that it's all about faith. And this is an utterly unique thing in the universe. Nobody else, no other religion in the world, no other philosophy in the world says you can be right before God by looking with trust and expectation to somebody else. Nobody else is doing this. Okay, this is a business that nobody else even wants to own. Okay, it's like 
the cat litter cleaning company. It's like, you can do that. Nobody else wants that business. Nobody else is going throughout the world and saying, the most important thing that you can do in your life so you can be right with God and live forever and have His blessing and have His love and become His child is a look to somebody else. Every other message is, you got to do this. You got to pray five times a day. You got to lose weight. You got to gain weight. You got to go to school. Got to make some money. Got to be important. Got to get a blog and a website. Everything else is you and what you got to do. Everything. And the good news is for Christians. We're calling the world to look to Jesus. Just look. Look with hope. Look with trust. And I'm saying that with hope and with trust, not adding more on to the faith. I'm just explaining because faith and believing is kind of muddied waters in our culture. We don't totally know what we're talking about all the time. So it's a look with faith. It's not a look with yuck. Okay, if you look at Jesus and you say, yuck, (laughs) that's not saving faith. If you look at Jesus and it looks like burnt fingers. Did you share the burnt fingers story in this one as well? Burnt fingers. No, you didn't. Oh, never mind. It doesn't work. If it looks, if when you're looking into your holding tank at your house and it just looks like brown slurry that smells terrible, if that's what you feel like is happening when you look to Jesus, that's not saving faith. I'm talking about a look with help and a look with I'm expecting something for you. And, and, and Rob told me you'd have $2 for me. That, that kind of look. I'm reading this book by a guy named Tony Ranke who happened to also write that book about cell phones from a few weeks ago. Anybody remember the cell phone sermon? There you go. Oh, me too. Went two weeks without picking up my phone once. Felt like a new man. Anyhow, he, he did this, he's written this book where he's collected the, the letters of John Newton. And John Newton is probably one of God's best letter writers, gospel letter writers after the Apostle Paul. And so he's collected it and just talking about Jesus through these letters. And he's talking about John Newton. If you don't remember that name, he wrote the song Amazing Grace which is probably the English language's most famous song, period. Like, everybody knows amazing. Every country singer, every R&B singer, every hip-hop singer, you know, everybody knows it. Everybody knows amazing, at least the first two lines, right? And then if you're not in church a lot, you mumble through, you know, you mumble through it a little bit. Everyone's heard of Amazing Grace before, most famous song ever in the English language. And it was written by a guy that, that before he was a Christian, he was the captain of a slave trading ship. Okay, so if you've ever watched those movies about the slave trade or slavery in the southern states and just hated every single aspect of what was going on there, he was a captain of one of the ships that took the people from Africa to Jamaica or North America so that they could be sold into slavery. That was his job. And not only was it his job, but his own testimony about his own heart was that his greatest joy in life was to lead people into wickedness. So for instance, he would say if he and some buddies were sitting down with a big jug of rum, he would purposefully pretend to be drinking 
so that he soberly could convince the other people to drink more and more and more and more and more so that he could watch them get dumber and stupider and more wasted. Because that's what he liked to do. He liked to lead people into wickedness and watch them do it. That was his idea of a hobby. Some people do woodwork. Some people play video games. He led people into wickedness for fun. And one day a huge storm came to his ship and the storm was filling his boat up with water so fast that even though they were working the bilge pumps, the pump in the bottom of the boat that forces the water out of the bottom of the boat into, back into the ocean where it belongs, they were working it full time. They weren't keeping up with how much water was coming in. Okay? So when there's more water coming into the boat than you can get out of the boat, what's going to happen? And he's in the bottom thinking, we're doing this and we still have strength and we can't keep up and we're all going to get tired. And he said, it's kind of like he didn't totally know what was happening, but in the midst of this pumping and the desperation and knowing we are dead, he, he cried out and said, oh God, have mercy on us. And two things happened at the same time. One, the storm stopped. And two, all of his buddies around him started to panic because they knew that he was the guy who hated God most on the boat. And they just heard him give an expectant look to God for help. And, and they were saved. Okay? Now, he didn't become a Christian right away and didn't become a pastor right away and didn't write that song right away. But he did look back to that moment in his life as a picture of God's gracious response to faith. In the midst of me being a slave ship owner and making my hobby leading people into sin and hating God, in the midst of that being me, when I cried out, God mercifully answered. That is, the, that is the power of God loves faith. He loves the look of help. And he responds to it. Amen? Now Paul says something really interesting about this gospel, which is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. He says in verse 16, he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, which is kind of a strange thing to say. This is his introduction. Paul's written this long letter to this church in Romans. He hasn't planted this church. He's hoping, his plan is he's going to go to um, Jerusalem with money for the church there to help them out. And then after his time in Jerusalem, he wants to go to Spain to plant churches in Spain because he's planted churches in a bunch of different cities and he feels like he's, he's out of room um, he wants to only plant churches in places where nobody's heard of Jesus before. That's his passion in life. And so he says, I'm out of room here, and so I'm hoping to come to you Romans so that you guys can send me on to Spain. And he's written this humongous letter to address the church, encourage the church, explain his gospel, and to solicit their help for missions. So this is actually a missions letter. Every once in a while you get a letter, hey guys, I've signed up with YWAM and we're going to... This is, that's what Romans is. It is a, I want to go plant churches in Spain and I need your help. Blah, 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 blah. So here's, if you ever end up getting called into the missions field, this is how you write those kinds of letters. You preach the gospel to people and then at the end you say, and you can help me. 
Okay? You don't have to do it like that, but I just love that. And so Paul is introducing his gospel to the Romans. And it's so interesting that he says to them, I'm not ashamed of this gospel. He doesn't say, I'm really excited about it. He doesn't say, you guys are in for a treat when I come to preach to you. He says, I refuse to be ashamed about the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's that's a little strange, especially if you've grown up in a kind of churchy background or churchy city where people are used to hearing about gospel, they go to church, even whatever might be going on in their heart. Um, You tend not to get shamed about being a Christian. It can be weird. And so Paul is introducing his gospel as something that he refuses to be ashamed about. And the reason he's introducing his gospel to them that way is because his experience has been is that the common response to his preaching about Jesus is for people to shame him. They either look in faith to Jesus and become part of the family and become part of a local church, or they respond by shaming him. In 1 Corinthians, he explains that the Greeks typically say, your God became a person and then died and then came back. And because of that, then we have to believe that. That's stupid. That is, does not sound wise at all. You and your preaching are dumb. And if you want to read about Paul's trip to Athens in Acts, that's what happened there. He preached and they're like, this guy sounds insane. Next. For the Jewish people, the, the call for the Jewish people to put their faith in somebody who died on a tree was sounded like a summons for them to believe in someone who was cursed by God. Because the Old, Old Testament, the law of Moses said, curses anybody who dies on a tree. So for, for Paul to be calling people to that, um, people would shame him for it. But this is, this is why, as I've been thinking about it, this is, this is why I think Paul introduces the gospel, which is the most powerful thing in the world when it is received by faith, by simple looking to Jesus in trust, is because God's gospel is designed to destroy all human pride and all boasting. The gospel of free grace the gospel of righteousness by faith, the gospel of being, having everything be okay between you and God forever and ever by trusting in Jesus is designed to destroy every kind of human pride. And so when people are feeling their pride pressed against, they respond with hostility and shaming. So we're not Greeks, and we're not Jews, and so in our culture, we have general ways that the gospel is responded to with shaming. Um, Alistair McGrath, who's this English theologian, apologist type guy, he goes around talking about Jesus. He said, in the 60s, I used to get shamed for believing in Christianity and thinking it was true. I would be talking, I believe in Jesus, and they'd be like, are you kidding? Science, and... uh, Marxism, and how can you believe that junk? You believe in miracles? That's stupid. That was his experience in the 60s. He says nowadays his experience is that people shame him for believing anything is true. 
Not that just that Christianity is true or the Bible is true, but that anything is true. And I think the most common thing I see when I look on the world is, is this. Everyone's allowed to say that, that you're right. You're not allowed to say someone else is wrong. Right? So you can line up everybody in the world, every viewpoint in the world, and they can say, I believe this, and as long as everybody's clapping, yay! You believe in Thor? That's wonderful! He's got movies! Yay! You know? Yeah. You believe in Hercules? Yay! He's strong and handsome. And he was also in Manoa. You can believe whatever you want, and everyone will clap. It's the person who says, I don't think that's true, that everyone turns on and says, you think, you know some, you think you're right and somebody else is wrong? That's arrogant. You're a bigot. You think you're right? Somebody else is wrong? How, who are you to think you're right when they're wrong? You're dumb. Sorry, Dave, for pointing at you, Jerry. I don't think you're dumb. But. And it's a shaming of the gospel. But the gospel does think it's true. And the gospel thinks that if you reject it, you're lost. The gospel of Jesus Christ claims to be the only way that anyone is righteous before God. And so it will provoke shame. And Paul says, I refuse to be ashamed of this gospel because it is the power of God for righteousness for everyone who believes. Amen? That's going to be our fight as we go on. Why do I think that the gospel is designed to attack and destroy human pride? Well, you remember I just read to you earlier this summary of the gospel about Jesus being put forth as a sacrifice for sin, as a propitiation for blood. Right after those verses, exactly where I ended, Paul says, asks this question, then what becomes of our boasting? Is it, it is excluded. By what kind of law? By a law of works? You have to do this, you have to do that in order to be right with God, in order to be special, in order to be awesome. No, but by a law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works. And he goes on from there. And essentially what he's saying is, when the reality is, is that the only way for someone to be okay in God's sight, and that's the only sight worth being okay in front of, when the reality is the only way to be right with God is through trusting in Jesus, every other human attempt towards being awesome, wonderful, special, important is done. It's toast. It's gone. Heisman trophies, worthless. It can't get you saved. It can't do anything you need. Olympic gold medals, without faith, worthless. What's the point of having a bunch of gold hanging around your neck when you go to hell? Says Jesus, what does it benefit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? So our culture has pride. It has things that you have to do in order to be important, like recycling and getting those new K-cups that don't have the plastic bottom and they're just all stuff that will decompose in our garbage dumps. And there's certain things that you have to improve of and there's certain marches you have to approve of or be a part of. There's, we have a list of things you have to do in order to be okay. And you, you have to kind of keep up with the haircuts a little bit and, and, the, and the clothes and Watch these sports teams and be for the Jets and not for the Bombers or the Bombers and not the Rough Riders or whatever it is. 
Every culture has things you have to do to be okay. And the gospel says, garbage. It's all garbage. Except for trusting in Jesus. And out of trusting in Jesus, there's a lot you can do to please the Lord. But without that faith, it's worthless. You think some people's pride is going to be offended? I'm a doctor. I have a PhD. It's worthless without faith. And because people are justified by faith, the worst human beings are on the exact same footing as the quote-unquote best of us. I remember I was collecting pine cones one time. It was a summer job I had right before I, I moved to Vancouver. And I was part of this team. We were collecting pine cones, and there were these, these older ladies there, and they were talking about something. And I, I don't remember exactly the conversation. I just remember what one of them said. They were talking about Jeffrey Dahmers, who is uh, one of America's most famous serial murderers. Sorry for bringing that up on a Sunday. I th- think he ate the bodies or whatever. It was just hor- one of the most horrific people ever. And right at the end of his life, before he got the chair or the injections that killed him, he invited James Dobson to do an interview with him because he said, I've become a Christian and I've repented and I want to tell my story before they, they kill me to, so that his testimony was recorded. And I don't know if they were referring to that, but I do remember this lady saying, you know, if that kind of guy could go to heaven, I don't know if I want to go there. Because he's claiming that he's saved by believing in Jesus. And the truth is, is that if that is her heart of hearts, she didn't go there. And he did. If he really was saved, and she really doesn't want to go where someone like Jeffrey Dahmer's could get forgiven and, and be with God, then she wouldn't go there. Because through the cross, the worst of us are just as saved as the quote-unquote best of us. Okay, So Romans was written by somebody who spent his time persecuting Christians because he hated Jesus. He watched Stephen get stoned to death and he smiled. And he said, good job, everybody. Stephen was one of Jesus' first converts, one of his best preachers in the early church. And when he was getting killed by an angry mob, Paul smiled and said, yes. And Jesus saved Paul so that everyone would know how big the grace of God is and that, yes, it is true, we are right with God by faith in Jesus Christ alone, even the worst people. Which is great news if you think you're one of the worst people. You're dancing, you're like, woo-hoo, nothing's going to hold me back and trust my Lord, I'm going to go to heaven. But if you think you're one of the best people, you're like, I don't know if I want a part of that. That sounds stupid. Because I'm rich and I'm smart and I'm beautiful and people like me. It's part of the scandal of the cross. That God sent his son to die the most embarrassing, shameful death ever. To dive right into everything human beings despise and then says, that is the best moment in human history. I'm going to raise him from the dead and everybody who believes in that shamed, crucified Jesus, you become my child and you're going to be a co-owner of all the universe and live forever with every single day being better than the last one and it's going to be awesome. As long as you will look to my son and put all your trust in just the look of faith and not in yourselves. So no pride allowed. We should put a sign up on Calvary Chapel out there. Whoever's in charge of the marquee, you can get rid of that whole refrigerator thing and just put no pride allowed. <laughs> Losers only. 
I don't know how much our church growth would explode there, but maybe really well. I'm happily a loser with Jesus Christ. I know me pretty good. I'm a terrible person. And I'm, I'm really not just saying that. I've done stuff where if I knew me, I would send me to hell. If I were God, I'd be like, yeah, no, you're, you're way past saving, buddy. James Bond ejector seat, you're done. Fortunately, I'm not God. God is way more gracious and loving than I ever could be. And he has decided to save everybody who looks to Jesus Christ with a trusting look, with a help me look. And nobody's going to stop him from doing that. No one will stop him. If we could have stopped him, Jesus would have stayed in the grave. When Jesus came out of the grave, nothing can stop Jesus from saving whoever looks to him in faith. So I want to talk about a life of faith because it's not just like the day of salvation is about faith and then we move on to the really important stuff like speaking in tongues or whatever you might be, or tithing or serving in children's ministry, which is really important. It's not like you do faith to get saved and then you move on because Paul said this, he says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. And what he's trying to say there is God's people never grow out of faith. You never, it's not like faith is your diapers when you're a baby, but when you grow up, you get grow out of it. You grow out of faith and start doing something else. No, it's all about faith. Every single day is about faith. You start with faith. You keep going with faith. You end with faith. We're looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus, looking to Jesus. It's all about faith. Your day today is about faith, looking to Jesus. Tomorrow is about faith. Will you look to Jesus for tomorrow? Amen? So what I want to do is I want to move over to Romans chapter 10. And I want to give us some scriptures that... Excuse me. Give us a picture of a life spent in faith. This is Romans 10 10, chapter 9. Paul is describing what, uh, how someone who is righteous by faith speaks. So this is the heart set. This is the mindset of someone who is righteous by faith. Verse 9, it says, Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Okay, I could talk about that quite a bit, but I'm going to restrict myself here. Just one verse. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, present tense, Jesus is Lord today, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, past tense, that happened in the past, then you will be saved, future tense. Okay? So I want to hammer down on grammar. I love grammar. I hope you love grammar too. God's glory is in the grammar. This righteousness by faith says, today Jesus is Lord, and I believe in my heart that yesterday, or 2,000 years ago, God raised him from the dead, and now I have a hope-filled expectation that in the future I will be saved. You tracking with me? Today he's Lord, yesterday he was raised from the dead, tomorrow I'm saved. So this is a picture of faith for all of your life. Amen? And so I just want to go into this. How do you look with faith at the past? How do you look at faith to, to, towards today? And how do you look with faith towards the future? 
And if you're interested, the worksheet at the back is kind of about doing this exact thing. So you can practice that on your own. And I think in order to explain this, I need a bow and arrow. Now, in the first service, I elected not to shoot this. But I was sorely tempted in between services to change my ways. There we go. So I may change my mind. Do you think I could hit that doorknob? Do you think it would ricochet? Bet you can't. Do you guys want to move into the second row just so there's kind of padding protecting you? I can hit the wall. Okay, so I've got this picture in my head of a bow and arrow, and now I've got it in my hands. And a picture, a bow and arrow is all about something holding steady and something moving backwards so that something can move forwards really well. All right? So I'm using this as a picture. The bow is our declaring that today Jesus is Lord. And the pulling back on the string is us looking with faith into the past about everything that Jesus has done. And the harder you look back in the past, what happens to your faith for the future? It it gets a little stronger, right? It's not kind of like just a weak little nothing. The rabbit just turns around and says, why did you pinch me? I managed to fire it and not kill anybody at the same time. I'm really tempted to be proud, but I can only be righteous by faith, so just forget about it. All right? We believe in our hearts that God raised Jesus from the dead, and in that saying, God raised Jesus from the dead, I'm taking that as a shorthand for everything Jesus accomplished in his life on earth. Okay, because Jesus did so much. His 33 years accomplished more than 3,000 years of regular human history. Okay, number one, he came down. What would you have to do, Greg, in order to make God come down from heaven? What could you do? What could we all do together? How much debt would the U.S. have to go into in order to accomplish making the word of God come down from heaven? Is it possible? It's impossible. He came down from heaven. He took on human flesh, and not just any human flesh. He came as a descendant of Abraham because God had promised Abraham, one of your seed will bless the entire world. Jesus came down to accomplish that promise. He also came down as a descendant of King David because God had told David, one of your sons will sit on the throne of Israel forever and ever and ever. And Jesus came down to fulfill that promise that we'd have a Messiah who is king that would rule forever. And then amongst everything else he did, he died for sin, which we already covered, so I'm not going to go into it. And then God raised him from the dead to show the entire world that everything Jesus said and did is true and trustworthy and powerful. And even in that raising from the dead, God started the new heavens and the new earth, the new creation that God is working on to replace this burnt out, rusted out, crudded out, worthless piece of hunk of nothing that is life right now, started when Jesus came out of the grave. And about all these things that Jesus accomplished, I want to say this, it's already happened. God already did it. None of our feelings or worries or doubts or happinesses can do anything to change the fact that Jesus came and he was Abraham's kid and David's kid and he died for sin and he rose from the grave and he started a new creation and he went back to heaven. Nobody can change anything about what he did. 
And we're called to look at that and say, I believe that happened, and everything that that accomplishes, I believe happened. And that is us pulling back on that bullstring. I believe it happened. Okay? Today, we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord. Today, He's Lord. He's Lord over the universe, Lord over heaven and earth, and He's, by faith, my Lord. Okay, when you look to Jesus in faith, he moves into your life as Lord. And in that title, Jesus is Lord, is encapsulated everything Jesus is to us as his church today. And there are so many things he is. John Newton had six titles for Jesus, which were his favorite. As Lord Jesus is our king. He's our defender. He's the one that swings the sword. And he's our just judge. He brings justice to our lives. Jesus is our priest. He's the one standing before God the Father forever making peace with us so that when I sin today, I have a high priest in heaven who is offering his blood again. Forgive, Father. And he is constantly making sure my relationship with God is peaceful. Jesus is my prophet. He brings to me the piercing word of God that cuts through my deceptions, cuts through my lies, cuts through my distractions, and cuts me to the heart so that I can know who God is and walk in the truth. Jesus is my shepherd. His job every day is to watch over me and fatten me up and make sure I'm healthy so that I can look good and he can shear off some wool and have a bit of a reward for his sufferings. But his job is to protect and provide for me. Jesus is my husband. He has bound himself to me in covenant, in delight, and love, and passion. And his intention is to enjoy a love relationship with me every day for the rest of my existence. And Jesus is my friend. He likes me. And that's today. And we look to Jesus in faith saying, today you're my Lord. Today you're my King. Today you're my priest. Today I get all the benefits of the gospel that you accomplished so many years ago. Today it is mine. And that's the looking of faith that the righteous are called to today. And out of that, everything Jesus accomplished and out of that, everything Jesus is today, we're supposed to look at the future with faith standing on God's promises. Do you worry about the future? Does your arrow go? Whether it's money or your performance or your relationships or your kids or your job or whatever it is. We're called to look into the future with faith saying, future, the Jesus who rose from the dead and the Jesus who is my Lord is going to be those things when tomorrow becomes today. And so I refuse to worry. Because my future is ruled over by the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The one who came out of the grave. And And I have his promises. His promise to never leave me or forsake me. The promise that Paul said, my God will meet all of your needs through Christ Jesus. Promise all my needs will be met through Christ Jesus. I have the promises for the future, and I know who God is today, and I know all that He's able to do from what He did in the past. This is the life of faith. So, church, this is all I'm saying to you today. It's all about faith. It's 
all about faith in Jesus. Whatever you're facing today is about faith in Jesus. Will you trust him? And I'm not saying that so that you'll say to me, no, or I can't do it. You can't look. You can't lift up your heart. You can't say help. Faith is designed to be something anybody can do so that nobody can boast. So look to Jesus. It's about faith. Father, I thank you so much. I just want to glory glory in you. God, that you would, out of every single possible option of how to save the world and save your people, that you would choose faith in your crucified son. God, I just want to admit that this is the wisdom of God. And this is the best way to do it. I pray, Father, that you'd help us treasure these truths and not give them up for anything. And that through this, Lord, we become more fruitful servants. Father, my prayer is that as people hear this, whether it's me or someone else, we would be gripped and we would just more deeply say, I want to help people know and understand the free grace of Christ through faith. I want to go places and tell people. There's people who don't know this. They're wasting their lives working for food that does not satisfy. Father, would you grip us, create in us more and more a missional church so that you would gain the glory of having more worshipers worshiping you because of your kindness and your mercy. People who've been made righteous by faith through the gospel. Amen.